dystopian fiction has been moved to current affairs. Hello and welcome to week six of Dystopian Fiction Has Been Moved to Current Affairs. I'm Claire and this is my co-host. I'm Marcia and uh, this week we've decided to switch up and do uh, this episode on The Matrix. Yes, very exciting. So Marcia, tell us about why The Matrix is great. So, well, I think we're trying to decide why it was such an iconic film at the time it came out in 1999 I think it was um but you know I think as you know its influence in pop culture has sort of been very predominant um even like sort of casting back to our episode in Barbie Mm -hmm. the classic uh blue pill red pill analogy was sort of like reusing that and I don't know I feel like people do quote it quite a lot even Mm. my sister I I uh I think like a couple of years ago she made this joke about um uh she she had the phrase digital pimp hard at work which I only then noticed was a phrase used in the matrix I don't know if that's just a sort of thing that people say or if that was a specific <laughs> <Okay, matrix. no. laughs> but I was I was just clocked for me and I was like oh my god that's where that came from um but it seems very quite relevant even though it came out maybe what 20 years ago now um especially yeah, when we're saying and the rest and the rest and the rest, yeah. and the rest. but yeah. you know especially with the sort of topics of AI and the developments of sort of like technology in the modern world and um and sort of we were saying we could you know there's quite a huge link to Fight Club and it's sort of the com you know the matrix both being sort of um this analogy for like what's real what's not Mm. and then you know Plato's cave yeah yeah Um, oh absolutely yeah yeah but also just sort of capitalism in general which I think we'll get into in a little bit yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, we were sort of saying as we were putting this together that it's mm. it, there are so many areas that we could talk about. Um, uh, just, you know, we're not going to go too much down the sort of hugely philosophical uh, mm-hmm. route, although we obviously touch on sort of the political philosophy side of things. But mm. there's obviously a whole area that you could go to there. Um, and then, you know, we've also been thinking about things like the aesthetic. And then, as you say, this mm-hmm. sort of um, relationship to, to sort of the modern day. And it, mm-hmm. it did strike me that, um, so for those listeners here, yeah, I've not yet cottoned on to this fact that uh, I am an aged millennial and Marsha is a Gen Z young person. Um, that so this came out for me when I was in like the early part of secondary school, and I suppose then the film, the subsequent films came out what, a few years later, just before I finished secondary school. So I suppose the trilogy kind of was a big impact on my um, my teenage years in terms of um, just yeah, just the the sort of the vibes and the sort of look of it um, and that sort of thing. I was really into it um even the second and third films which many matrix fans didn't like i was the sort of pretentious person who was <laughs> totally up for all the philosophy stuff in the in the second film but um when i got to university and i was first studying philosophy as part of my degree i remember my um lecturer asking us i guess we were doing plato at the time that would figure uh, asking us um you know, who here thinks that it is um it is possible that we are living in within something like mm. the matrix and we were all just like are you high uh, which was <laughs> which was possible but apparently he wasn't at that particular moment and uh, he was like oh yeah well philosophically speaking there's people who think that that is possible you know mm. 
it's quite interesting um yeah. just because when we had back in my early secondary school days mm. um when we had the sort of you know religious studies session mm. on, you know plato's cave and what's real what's not the example or film that they used was actually um um the truman show the truman show do yeah. you know i hadn't thought of the truman show for ages and then i put it down on our list because oh, it was like oh yeah of course that's such a good parallel to this yeah um, yeah exactly i mean i i literally only just thought of it now as you were sort of mm. telling that anecdote but um yeah i mean that was i mean that's kind of a sort of very like new level like, I, I i don't know the truman i just it, i mean if for listeners who haven't seen the truman show it's the idea that this man has basically been raised inside a sort of studio all his life mm. which he's forced to believe is the real world until one day uh, a sort of spotlight comes crashing down from the sky and he's all of a sudden like what's going on um which i think is a very sort of different interpretation mm. of you know is the life that we're living real or not uh, in comparison to the matrix and I, you know i i remember, always remember that bit in the truman show where his wife you know his fake wife who's actually an actress but he thinks mm. it's real and mm. the, the outside world is watching him grow up in this sort of you know fake studio universe um with all these like side characters and stuff um that she, she sort of has to enact like an advert on live tv whilst he's trying to talk to him he's like i think i'm going crazy i don't think anything's real and she's there trying to promote the serial on live tv and i don't know that's uh, that was just so i don't know very clever but yeah no that's definitely maybe we'll do a separate episode maybe we'll tie yeah yeah i could do i love the fact that we've explained the plot of the truman show we're just making the assumption that everybody knows the plot of the matrix yeah that's Um, true yeah i mean if you don't know the plot of the matrix then you are living in a cave Uh, (laughs) but also because there basically is no plot to the matrix i still maintain this that the matrix is brilliant because of vibes not because of plot (laughs) Um, um, but uh the the concept i think of the the Mm. matrix the idea that we are living in a um an artificial reality constructed for us by um, machines by computer yes. algorithm whilst our bodies are being used essentially as batteries to power those machines um, and we're just kept basically asleep in our little pods um, yes. uh, for the machines to function and one of the reasons we thought about doing this this now apart from the fact that you know it's always a great film and you mm. know dressing up could be involved um, yes. <laughs> so apart from those great reasons mm. and apart from the fact that the fourth film came out reasonably recently and we do try Mm. to sort of make some references to recent stuff um was the fact that we i think have a slightly different perspective on it now saying that like philosophically Mm -hmm. back in whenever it would have been like mid 2000s or something when i was having that conversation with my philosophy lecturer then (laughs) it would have been i think a more extreme position to be thinking about the idea of computers controlling succeeding being the next evolutionary sort of force in the world mm. seemed like something you discussed in philosophy all the mm-hmm. time yeah but now <laughs> we've just had the first world ai summit in the uk um something that i believe is going to now continue annually including the drawing up of what's been called the bletchley agreement the idea of the signatories the major countries that have signed who were present as part of this basically signing up to a, a safety um 
protocol agreement, something that really says, you know, we need to have a world perspective on what we allow to happen with AI. Mm-hmm. And that we are taking seriously the potential threats as well as the great benefits that AI would bring. Um, and so we were discussing this just before we started because we were reading up on the literature that was produced as a part mm-hmm. of this, uh, which actually I thought was really you know, not bad at all. Um, mm-hmm. And we came across this bit that was about loss of control. Yes. Um, and um, what was I reading you in my scary voice? Oh, here we are. <laughs> uh there are broadly two factors that contribute to loss of control. Humans increasingly hand over control of important decisions to AIs. Mm-hmm. It becomes increasingly difficult for humans to take back control. And AI systems actively seek to increase their own influence and reduce human control. Now, it does say that some people think that this is quite a controversial take, that the likelihood of these mm. risks is uh, is minimal, but it then goes on to discuss those in quite some um, significant detail. And that's on the gov.uk website, should you wish to go and look it up. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> what does that make you think? How, how... you're the scientist, I mean... obviously this is not, entire, not even remotely your area, but I'm just <laughs> going to go like, you're the scientist. What do you I mean, think? You know, I, well, I think it's interesting. Oh, as far as my understanding of what AI is currently able to do there's I, I don't know if there's necessarily been sort of approved consciousness mm-hmm. that is happening you know, because all of it's yeah. you know these sort of programs these like learning programs and models um you know and all there's I think there's been lots of sort of reports I think in even one of the articles that you sent me um it was described how a number of people using like chat GPT models mm-hmm. um have sort of formed these um close relationships with these chatbots and that um in quotation marks um someone said that they have retired from the experience of human relationships or something like that which is it's just fascinating it's truly fascinating because you know these robots aren't really aren't really able to be conscious Mm -hmm. yet they're just sort of saying they're picking up the input that you're saying to them Mm -hmm. and reflecting back what you'd want to hear um which again is as you were saying is can like be part of something that can manipulate people um but that's uh, given the given the idea that that's what you know ai is capable of and Mm -hmm. like whether it has that sort of um cognitive ability to Mm -hmm. see i don't know an advantage to manipulating someone or whether it's just trying you know whether it's just been programmed a certain way to try and like you know speak to people but I mean as like even I was reading articles recently where the most sort of um you know recent dangers of AI or fears in AI this is more you know biology specific mm-hmm. so I'm sort of drawing into my like area here but um an article is saying how um uh AI chatbots have been used to sort of plan bioweapon attacks and like being able to coordinate um sort of these attacks and the timings and the sort of mm-hmm. um viruses and bioweapons that you would need for these sort of like terrorist attacks or um of, of the you know the article says obviously you need to be able to override these sort of safety features that are programmed but that that's mm-hmm. not even difficult I feel like a lot of people can you know with basic yeah. skills can do that which is scary to think you know there needs to be a lot more regulation but again that's sort of like oh how is that restricting our freedoms um (laughs) but then you know and then there's the sort of other side of ai of it sort of taking away people's jobs as well not just sort of the idea Mm. that it's going to take over everything but you know it's implementation in terms of especially the arts i think is really interesting Mm. that you know like the way that these models learn is through um 
you know having loads and loads of data that's inputted but this data comes from like actual artists work and then it's these like models are then used to produce you know free Mm. images and graphic design for companies when you know that you know yeah no longer being done by real people exactly Um, yeah, I mean, I like to sort of, I'm really optimistic, but I suppose I like to be optimistic about the idea that um, we could free up the need for menial labour and mm, we could improve pre- precision labour. Those are two things that I think that it would be really good if, mm. you know, AI were able to to facilitate that. But it mm. only works if we put a system in place that means that it doesn't mean that we just create a great swathe of unemployment or perhaps yeah. more important people with no money because actually no. i think unemployment in a world where lots of things are machine operated is no longer a bad thing no no provided I mean, that people have got other purpose yeah. in their life and sources of income so exactly well i think i think this is the thing is like especially during covid all these sort of fields that people just kind of didn't really appreciate or mm. sort of see as important like nurses and postal workers which i don't know how ai or machinery because i know there's sort of you know they're investigating like drones delivering your parcels but all this i think it will that was that in years and years of... wasn't it when yes they, uh, yes of course mp um, but i think that is actually <laughs> happening as well i think they are that is being yes, investigated it is, true. It, is being, um, it is being done i think yeah yeah but i think you know for example stuff like finance or these sort of you know desk office jobs and Mm -hmm. this sort of stuff that you do on spreadsheets Mm -hmm. i hate spreadsheets currently that's what i'm doing my degree it's awful Mm -hmm. but you know that's just you know that's not necessarily we're not going to need you know for these sort of menial tasks humans to do that anymore which Mm -hmm. i think is a blessing and then therefore you know there'll be a lot more focus on you know the sort of jobs of like people who do manual labor again Mm -hmm. i guess that's sort of like a I don't know I don't know where that sort of like happens but I've got a friend who's doing carpentry what she's like really Mm. enjoying and there's like craft that can't necessarily be replicated by a robot yeah that raises really valid points and I think that there's interesting you mentioned sort of you know nursing and medical work and things like that Mm. because there's definitely sides of things that are going to be increasingly I think outsourced to AI yeah Um, but the idea of misdiagnosis for example I mean it's obviously common among humans Mm. But I was reading some data about the fact that it is equally common among computers. But I wonder whether you end up with a very different relationship to the data if it's been mm. predicted by a computer and how those misdiagnoses are handled. Again, it's about these safety nets and so on that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the machine world as we sort of see it in the matrix is an interesting mix of kind of the sort of physical machines on the one hand in the ma- mm. machine city and so on and and working the pods and being powered and so on <laughs> mm. and then the actual much more i guess computer-based version which is the idea of programs uh, which is what we mainly mm. see machines functioning because as in terms of being computer programs um and in the ver- you know um i know we said we'd focus on the the first film but i think that over the course of of the sort of second third fourth film they go a little bit more into that idea about sentience and so on because we obviously see like agent smith he has mm-hmm. emotions insofar as he has <laughs> hatred and he yes. hates the smell of humans and and so on um but later on we see kind of the idea of and it really questions this idea you know how could mm. you love how could you love um a, mm. a child for example a child 
program essentially a program mm-hmm. produced by another program um you know and sort of saying well love is just a word that i'm using to describe this feeling in the same way as they do a lot with self-preservation which i think is one of the big things with ai if an ai's uh system is is programmed essentially to self-preserve what will that mean does it mean wipe out threats i.e uh kill your opponent is it as is it the same as human self-preservation instinct to Mm -hmm. um sort of fight or flight or whatever um and yeah i just thought that that was a that was a really interesting sort of subtext there's this idea that sort of as you say have we got an idea about consciousness um being being portrayed is that the problem because all we're told i've got the quotation here mm-hmm. one of morpheus's little speech where he says um a singular consciousness that spawns an entire race of machines we don't know who struck first us or them but we know that it was us that scorched the sky at the time they were dependent on solar power and it was believed that they would be unable to survive without an energy source as abundant as the sun how much does this sound a bit like you know um <laughs> don't look up or something like that i know what we'll do we'll destroy the sun (laughs) so that we win our war um but uh throughout human history we've been dependent on machines to survive fate it seems is not without a sense of irony Mm. the human body generates more bioelectricity than a hundred volt 120 volt battery and over twenty-five thousand btus of body heat combined with a form of fusion the machines have found all the energy they would ever need um, so we've got this idea that, you know, at some point there was a transition from machines working for humans to humans providing the power for machines because yeah. they had eradicated um, mm. the, the solar Which, power. Hmm. I think we should also acknowledge the beautiful writing there, the sort of the scorch, <laughs> the sun bit. That's, that's beautiful. That's pretty, that's beautifully written. But um, no, exactly. I think that is that sort of, I, I, I think the best sort of illustrative examples of um that I feel especially make me reflect upon mm. how you know our like society functions and the way that you we use technology is mm. the ones where it's sort of like switched around where suddenly we're like one group of mm-hmm. you know the group that's usually in power and you know you know is sort of in control is suddenly it's like the opposite way around but I think it's just really mm. written, cleverly written I think also in the movie the way that they visually portray that like when he talks about Mm. the like fields of sort of pods of humans and how we're no longer born but grown that's Mm. such striking imagery it's Mm. just really it is interesting it is I think it it must kind of pluck at some sort of I guess sort of ingrained innate um idea that makes us uncomfortable the idea Mm. that you know these kind of uterus pods as it Mm. were you know mechanized instead of um of being natural and so on but mm. you know we i think we must have some sort of primal feeling that that is somehow wrong but then there was another part of me that was a bit like hang on isn't this quite ethical fun <laughs> you know overall yeah, to be fair you know a lot better we, than, than <laughs> don't we do of... much worse yes 100 percent right? <laughs> you know the idea that the these bodies are allowed to to live, to live out to a life, function, yeah. to believe that they are having a perfectly ordinary existence. Mm. Um, you know, there's there's certainly one way of looking at it. You know, we'll come on to the sort of philosophy of liberty and so on in a moment, I'm sure. But there's mm. one way of looking at it. There's definitely like you know, 
if you're going to farm people to for their energy <laughs> and you know we are supposed to be a bit you know disgusted by the idea that dead bodies are dissolved and fed back to you know the living which sounds problematic in terms of you know disease and things but mm. um you know there's another part that's a bit like well hang on actually the way that we treat animals Mm. in factory farming is so much worse yeah 100 percent. um we're not giving them the stimulation of believing that they're living in an artificial society (laughs) Uh, so yeah so as i said i think that there's something that's trying to kick us into thinking you know humans must be better than machines whilst perhaps also especially you were talking about um Agent Smith saying that uh, humans are a virus. Mm. I've got the quotation here. Okay, so he goes, yeah, Agent Smith says, I'd like to share a revelation during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species. I realised that you're not actually a mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment. You humans do not. You move to an area, you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. The only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus, human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague and we are the cure. Which again is just really well written. It's just a really well written script. Like it is actually considering as I said it was, you know, plot wise rubbish. Uh, I think in terms of in terms of yeah, the the speeches yeah, I think they do well to to kind of convey that sort of lofty sort of world. I thought it was a good Agent Smith voice he did there as well. Um, oh, thank you. I nice. tried my yeah. best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um you know, I think we were saying, you know, just before the uh, we started recording that actually yeah, <laughs> isn't Agent Smith right? Mm about it as an analysis of humanity you could say no absolutely (laughs) to be fair i mean even like you know clearly we've got this entire like climate narrative going on especially Mm. in the last episode don't look up um and you know one of the options that they're investigating is to you know life on mars you know (laughs) put david bowie in our little playlist (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah no uh you know sort of start a new life on mars move to the next planet and Mm. you know i think one of the big sort of things in the climate movement is people saying there is no plan b especially for Mm. the the non-elite who can't Mm. afford you know a cheeky rocket into space uh Mm. it's I mean, exactly, exactly that. It's just, it is kind of, yeah, we use up all the resources and then move on to wherever else. It's, it mm. is, there is no sort of equilibrium. There is no sort of established understanding of like sustainability in the way that, you know, our society currently functions, which. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that increase, obviously, you know, we, we were all aware of the ideas around, um, uh, climate change back in in 99 but of mm. course the narrative was nowhere near as i mean sure it should have been but it was nowhere near mm. as critical or as um um i suppose well understood by people like you and me perhaps particularly not you because you weren't born but <laughs> by me <laughs> um, you know as perhaps perhaps it mm. should have been but um now when we watch a film like this and we look at these images of sort of devastation on the sort of planetary level that of mm. course it, it has um all of those ideas around um around the climate um sort of triggered for us i suppose in terms of the way that it's portrayed and uh, mm-hmm. the fact that that zion is situated 
beneath the earth closer to the earth's core because of course the heat of the sun has been lost so they're basically in a dying planet anyway is the sort of idea so you know again some of these sort of extreme responses to how do you survive yeah um yeah definitely I mean I think also going off what Agent Smith was saying another one of his sort of observations of humanity was where let's find the quotation again he sort of goes on to talk about how um one version of the matrix was Uh, this sort of like perfect society yeah. where everyone is happy. Let me try and find what is it's, going on. Why can't I find? It's quite yeah. near towards the bottom. It says, um, uh, did you know the first matrix was designed to be a perfect human world where none suffered, where everyone mm. would be happy. It was a disaster. No one would accept the program. Entire crops were lost. Some believed that we lacked the programming language to describe your perfect world. But I believe that as a species, human beings define their reality through misery and suffering. So, which, yeah, you know, go on, sorry. <sighs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I mean, first of all, I find this fascinating because that was one of my thoughts while rewatching or something like, okay, so why is it just out of an act of cruelty that they just, or act of, or a lack of the potential to create beyond the parameters that they already mm. knew? So they're like the 1999 world, this is what we're going to make mm. the world look like, um, because that's something that we know that we can describe. But actually, no, the idea is that this is what people would accept. Yeah. Which I think also sort of goes back to the, well, we were comparing the Matrix to capitalism and especially mm. like Neo's boss, like in sort of parallel to the narrator from uh, Fight Club. Yeah. He's living a very sort of similar mm. situation where he's this work in the corporate world, part of the cog, part of a machine. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, it's it's interesting that it's it's kind of yeah it's the same sort of disbelief you know mm-hmm. I, I really need to read this book that everyone keeps re- telling me to read but you know capitalist realism by mark fisher describes the idea that you know as we get like you know we're living in this world where no one can imagine a world without capitalism and that yeah. people would rather could more likely imagine the end of time than really imagine a world where yeah it's, that is it's one of the things that he he um he talks about i mean i found this book I mean, it is complicated, but it was also <laughs> a book that, um, um, that um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure that I agreed with it very much, but at okay. a point, well, in, so, in terms of its solutions, in terms of its solutions, not in terms of uh, the problems it identifies, I think we've talked before about this idea that um, the idea of perpetual growth as a, you know, um, uh, not necessarily, I think the, I'm not sure I'd argue that the removal of um the capitalist concept is itself mm. the issue. I think it is the um, the sort of almost post-capitalist idea that we've mm. reached now um, of, of perpetual growth and so on. And therefore, I think you're absolutely right. This idea that we can't um, we can't see past it and therefore perhaps can't um, see its injustices um, mm-hmm. is something that I think is characterised very well um, in this uh, in this book. Um, yeah, here we go. Okay, so um, watching children of men. This is Mark Fisher, Capitalist Realism, on mm-hmm. page two. Watching children of men, something that's on our list, we are oh, inevitably yes. reminded of the phrase attributed to Frederick Jameson and Slavoj Zizek that it is easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. That slogan captures precisely what I mean by capitalist realism, the widespread sense that not only is capitalism the only viable political and economic system, but also that it is now impossible even to imagine a coherent alternative to it. 
Um, and I suppose this idea about kind of imagining alternatives, maybe outside of that kind of economic example, is something that mm. the Matrix is trying to get us to do. Isn't yes. it? I mean, it plays around so much with these ideas about, as you were saying, kind of real and unreal, but also kind of the the power to imagine something, um, you know, that is way outside your like so far outside your kind of comprehension like looking at something completely anew mm-hmm. and i don't think that that is a you know a bad thing for us to um uh, to focus on for for a bit because you were talking about this idea you know the, the perfect world and one of the things that i think we notice when we watch the matrix is that it is in many ways important um that Neo is the character that we focus on, yeah. Regardless of the whole, he's the one, and then spending <laughs> a further three films trying to work out what exactly they meant when they came up with that idea. Um, <laughs> but regardless of that idea, um, it's to do with uh, algorithmic equilibrium, I think. If you have the patience, strength to watch to the end of of the third film, there's a whole <laughs> thing about it. <laughs> anyway, um, but this this point being, I suppose, that we were we're talking about viewing a character who first of all as you say is kind of like this cog in a system so he's already stuck in an unsatisfactory version of life the version that will perhaps encourage him to to think you know that there's got to be something bigger better and then we learn that he's obviously actually part of this alternative kind of subculture which is on the one hand sort of unhealthily sitting getting pasty in his his room hacking and producing hacker programs and things like that and selling them and then on the other one seems to be kind of like being on the fringe of this um sort of alternative slightly goth slightly kink kind of subculture that he seems to tag along with when he follows the white rabbit but um he's sort of on the edge of that so that raised two things for me one was the idea was okay so are there any people are people just fulfilling all the roles in society or are like people just the like the workers or does like the algorithm just decide oh this person in this pod is going to be like put in this job and this person in this pod is going to put in this job yeah um does it actually build on like you know i guess your actual human capabilities like has neo got like the brain for being a computer programmer mm. but then a lot of it is you know hugely it's nurture nature you know the, some of it is like predetermined in your genes but you can't that can't be if, if what he's living isn't really real and he's not actually getting that experience of yeah you know his surroundings then how can you predetermine what he's gonna what he's gonna be how he's gonna live and yeah I, obviously the sort of traitor here the character that betrays his, you know, the whole Cypher. entire team, what's his name? Cypher, you know, goes mm. behind their back and mm. sort of joins up with the uh, the agents and he says, oh, I'll, I'll sell out Zion, mm. um, sort of, you know, human utopia that still exists um, for the opportunity to be logged back into the Matrix. Mm. Um, which, you know, so that links back to the sort of blue pill, red pill thing where yeah. you know, he decided to be to be shown the truth and actually hugely regretted it, mm. which I don't know, I, I was, yeah. it's interesting, yeah. I, you're absolutely right, I mean, this comes into this perhaps the most kind of important part of, of this film in many ways, which is this idea that, um, so first of all, there seems to be the idea that you, 
to be in Neo's position, he has to have been looking for something that he thought was lacking. Mm -hmm. And maybe that was because he was in this job that he was so unsatisfied with, that he has so much trouble with the authority. You know, he clashes with his his boss over turning up late and not submitting to authority. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's something to do with that. Um, Or maybe it's to do with this, as I say, kind of this alternative world that he seems to live in, which clearly has illegal elements to it and so on so it's already kind of subverting the rules as it were of of the matrix just not at the fundamental level um and then finally we've got the idea that he makes he makes certain certain choices including finally taking the red pill which is both symbolic and also like practical because it allows them to pinpoint him in his pod and pull him out so that i found it like really interesting but then obviously there's a question you know if 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 this is telling us that we need to to wake up and look at the ways in which society kind of constrains us places us in in authoritarian situations if that's what this is sort of partly about um then is it saying that you can't do that from just any position and is it about being like educating yourself to open your eyes or is it actually about saying no you've got to just like ignore like reject i suppose reject the um the normal parameter normal parameters i suppose yeah, the 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 average the median the, the standardized parameters do you need to say i want to subvert whatever it is law uh-huh. fashion choices there's reference to drug taking um you know things like that can you can you not do it from your normal office job so I found that really interesting but then as you say we've got Cypher as the sort of flip to that which is that yes Cypher has of course been taken out of the matrix as a child because that's what they usually do take them out mm-hmm. as children and then he's been what is it 11 years or something I think living in Zion and and on the Nebuchadnezzar mm-hmm. uh, and then he wants to go back and that's because it's so shit in in Zion right I mean you know um the food is a really good example Mm, um yes do you remember the the scene where they're like Neo first gets given his plate of like (laughs) gloopy food he's like yeah (laughs) yeah exactly they describe it as like what a singular cell protein with all the vitamins and sort of fiber and nutrition that they need and and it's like all the human body needs or something yeah uh, interestingly, that's something they start to address again in the fourth film, the idea that they're okay. actually trying to sort of replicate um, like decent food. But you oh, can get it, yeah. you know, Cypher sitting there with Agent Smith eating his steak, yes. saying, I know it's not real, but the sensation is so much more pleasurable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is actually, I did want to talk about in sort of within the simulation mm. and the experiences that like, because I think um, Morpheus talks about, you know, what is real? Um, mm. Is it just sort of just, you know, electrostatic? electrical stimulation within your brain that is making you thinking that you're like experiencing all these things the sort of food that you're eating and Mm -hmm. i think there's a bit where in the first movie where they're driving past um like a noodle bar that neo used to go to and he was like oh yeah great noodles really Mm -hmm. great noodles but again that sort of makes you think oh it is that real but this is what i was i was going to ask you about um when agent smith who's obviously you know Part, you know part of the AI intelligence he's a mm-hmm. robot says he he hates the smell of humans the sort of you know the his experience of mm-hmm. being around them he's, you know he wants to get out of this sort of job that he's been mm-hmm. given um how is he as a robot 
experiencing mm. the smell of humans if yeah. they're all a simulation like mm. what's what does that does, you know plot holes what does this mean <laughs> yeah um, i think that's a very valid point i mean one of the things i suppose that they do with smith and i think we're starting to see it from the first time that we encounter him is that mm. he as a program is um i guess learning and developing in a way that actually is making him more like a human in the same way that Neo is going in the other's direction. He is, uh, yes, he becomes free, but he begins mm-hmm. to, once he's aware of the fact that in the matrix, he's basically functioning like a computer program, then he is able to break all the, the rules that would only exist the if he were matrix, human. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think that, that that kind of like going opposite directions is just, I suppose that's what they're trying to say with with Smith, it, I guess it comes back to this thing about semantics. It doesn't matter whether Smith can smell humans. The idea is that he understands that something that is unpleasant about a situation is its <laughs> smell. So you put the word smell in place of trying to describe what he finds unpleasant. And it I has nothing see. to do with the actual sense. So Maybe I'm just trying to trying to deal with a pothole. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean I think that that um this this whole thing leads us leads us on, I suppose, to this idea about, as you say, what is real and we get um the the term the desert of the real being used, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's you wake up from the matrix and you're in reality, woo, it's really shit it's a desert you have to eat gloop you're being chased by sentinels um you know you're in a, living in a place where there's you know there's no light there's no everything is artificial and so on and you're part of this very small surviving community of humanity so that in itself is i think it's very typical of our you know it was really thinking about this but like existentialist um narratives so if we're taking it back to this idea of like what's real and what's not real and what's like inauthentic and what's authentic so you can live in the matrix and never know anything different or you can even know something different like cypher does and still want that because the in- inauthentic version is actually more pleasurable than the authentic version which is actually really unsatisfactory and there's a good um article in this um book called the matrix and philosophy uh, welcome to the desert of the real um edited by william owen uh from i think about 2003 to 1 <laughs> the page uh, 2002 um and um one of the essentially taking the existential um, uh, argument, saying um, that um, it's it's obviously, you know, from the perspective of kind of existentialism, then we're saying it is better to live the authentic life, the life that prioritizes liberty, and that that's the only place that happiness can be found. Um, But, um, you know, would most people do that so would they take the take the red pill because it's the more authentic thing and one of the things that um this particular um article argues um and i'm going to get the name of the article um it's uh jennifer l mcmahon uh popping a bitter pill existential authenticity in the matrix and nausea um and you know basically arguing that well would you take the red pill i mean especially if you if you were cipher would you take the blue pill again if you see what i mean as well 
would you go back? What do you think? God. Take take the red pill and uh, what's what's the phrase that, that Morpheus uses? Uh, um, uh, you take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. All I'm offering is truth, nothing more. And that, I suppose, mm-hmm. is the important thing. The red pill gives you truth. It doesn't promise you anything other than the truth. I don't know because you know they say I think Cypher says ignorance is bliss Mm, yes and I I mean am I a revolutionary am (laughs) I the one as they continue (laughs) to say in this film um would it would I oh god you know what personally I just feel like I would live out the rest of my life within the matrix it's a pretty good lifestyle but Exactly, exactly. I think that that is, yeah, and that's the thing. And so it's, I mean, we haven't, we've we've referred to, but we haven't specifically talked about um, how much this is Plato's cave for the 90s. Um, Mm. But in that, um, that idea, when we're comparing the allegory of Plato's cave, um, there's a few things I think are quite helpful that the Matrix sort of works with. Um, so for those who don't know, very brief um, account of Plato's cave, the allegory as it appears in the Republic, um, we've got the idea of um, the uh, there being a cave in which there are some prisoners trapped in chains um, and they're facing a war and behind them is a fire. And um, across the fire in the light, um, are moving puppets and those puppets um, project onto the walls as like a shadow play on the wall. And for the prisoners, that is their whole world. So everything that they can see in those shadows is of course what they consider to be reality. And then one day, one of the prisoners is released from his chains uh, by persons unknown and for reasons unknown. um, And he's dragged up into the um, upper world. And in the upper world, outside the cave, he sees instead of the fire, he sees the actual sun. And instead of shadow puppets of animals on the wall, he sees actual animals. Um, and this, of course, is in it, depicted as something that is incredibly shocking. But he also is told or he has uh, he's taken back. And one of the things that Plato discusses is the importance of the person who has that access to truth, kind of sharing it with um, uh, with other people. Uh, leading other people into the truth but he also says um, that it is um, perfectly likely in his opinion that the people the other people in the cave would tear the man to death mm-hmm. um, because people don't want to know that there is this um, that they have been well there's many things isn't it they don't want to know what they've been lied to they don't want to take the chance of being exposed outside of this this comfort zone um, and you know being unchained might sound great but being threatened with this alternative reality is is uh, is not a good one and i suppose the difference is that we are led to believe that outside the cave is better than inside the cave and of course mm-hmm. i should say that this of course has a separate set of meanings in a way for plato because he's dealing with the idea of the world of, of the forms and and returning to to an ideal uh, pre-birth divine um realm but if we're using it anymore for the matrix and we've got this idea that well Waking up from the matrix, first of all, yes, you have to be unchained. That's kind of Morpheus's role. And then it's Neo's role when he says he's going to continue doing it at the end of the first film. Mm. Um, but actually, do you want to, uh, is is being unchained in that situation really better than, than being chained? And as you say, it takes us back to this idea that, well, yeah, 
life yeah you know it, it, it may not be brilliant in the matrix but we know that the quality of life is low outside of the matrix i think the difference between like plato's analogy mm. and what the matrix is saying is that oh, the one prisoner who do, does you know mm. get released and leaves the mm. cave mm-hmm. he sees exactly what is being seen within the cave but it's mm. the real version of it it's still mm. you know the uh, the beautiful animals the mm. sun etc etc it's not mm. necessarily a worse reality yeah which i think was why sort of i don't know i think obviously there's like parallels there but the matrix is specifically a mm. very grim you know mm. outside of the matrix like the real world is p- particularly grim in comparison mm. to the to the reality of the matrix well the non-reality yeah. of the matrix yeah is what we're trying yeah. To say. So I, yeah i think i don't know exactly like what is you know, it could I I could probably still live out my life happier, even knowing mm. that I was chained up. Just because, it, as mm. you were saying, it is a pretty ethical way of like farming. <laughs> you know, the robots are kind yeah. of ethical. I yeah. kind of respect it. You know what? Yeah, they've, they've you know, set it up pretty well. I know they have a practical <laughs> reason, which is that they don't want their energy pods waking up. And then their batteries coming out, like rejecting the <laughs> their situation. But yeah, you know, you could say that it it's it has the potential to be much worse. I suppose the the argument to say that it's problem more problematic is that anybody who goes against that yes is destroyed, and that perhaps is where we start to really raise question about authoritarianism. If you're willing to just go along with the matrix and never challenge it, mm-hmm. but if you're not, then terrible things happen to you including your deletion as it were um but um i think you know there is a um there's a quotation from that article that i just mentioned that says this is talking more generally about these kinds of narratives whereas inauthentic characters are described as existing in tranquil ignorance characters approaching authenticity are depicted as anxious alienated and bordering on insanity Mm um and that i think is something that you know is is quite interesting like you know can could you ever come out of the matrix and not be essentially traumatized by that experience and i noticed that in film four this is something that gets really um played around with because basically there's kind of a um a scenario where uh neo is back in the matrix and mm-hmm. um uh, thinks that everything that he experienced was just a video game that he created except for the fact that he knows that something is blatantly wrong he's tried to to, um kill himself previously he's tried to or possibly he's just tried to prove that the matrix is false because you jump off a roof of course you either Uh die or you fly depending on how you um (laughs) what you whether you know that it's matrix but um there's a um a quotation uh from that fourth film that i was looking at that says um Thomas, Neo, gone back to being Thomas, uh, you are a suicide survivor gifted with a powerful imagination. Those facts have combined to create dangerous fictions in your life. Um, And this idea of essentially saying, you know, something that the system is telling him that his experience of the truth was simply a symptom of mental illness. And so the idea of a system that gaslights you that persecutes those who don't conform, that won't allow anybody to exist outside of that system. Mm. That perhaps, even though personally we might say life is better inside, that is surely everything that we've also been saying is bad about kind of many dystopian authoritarian societies, right? No, yeah. They're bad intrinsically because Mm -hmm. to not be free is a bad 
thing um i suppose as a you know as a i sort of describe myself mainly as a kind of rulesian liberal putting (laughs) the idea of liberty at the heart of good society does seem to me to be you know the most important thing but not everyone Mm. would agree and you know as you say taking the red pill does seem like a, a pretty rough existence um you mentioned earlier this idea about um the uh the meaning of kind of red pill and the influence of this um uh, this idea and i think it is just worth us touching on because uh it's it's on a slightly different path but i was um uh mainly i know about sort of a little bit about this because it's an excellent book called not all dead white men by donna zuckerberg um and it's talking about the way in which the classical world which is my area is um adopted by um uh particular movements uh, mostly in the US um, to form part of a narrative of male supremacy and it overlaps in some instances with uh, far-right politics it also overlaps with things like the pickup artist movement but basically the red pill um, movement um, uh, being um, a a group of men they are mostly um, I think white men uh, in their sort of mid twenties to thirties, usually conservative in um, uh, their viewpoints, um, not necessarily religious um, particularly, but these are people who basically argue that, um, I suppose it overlaps with the men's rights movement, the idea that in fact um, it's, uh, they're basically arguing for misogyny. Mm. They they believe that um, men have been demasculinized. That uh, this is so like the sort of <laughs> stuff we were talking about with Fight Club. Uh, but yeah, like men have been demasculinized. That that women have taken um, control in society. Um, and although Donna Zuckerberg in her book points out that yes, I mean there are reasons why this particular kind of group of men might well argue that there are um, things that affect them very negatively within their society. I do want to acknowledge this, you know, um, Mm -hmm. men are more likely to be uh, victims of violence, um, represent more than 90% of the prison population, uh, commit suicide at a rate almost three times that of women, Um, majority that are killed in the workplace are men, Um, female students outnumber male students, um, and uh, you know various other potential issues that you could raise that say you know that men get a bad deal in society but the problem is that that's not what these um these groups tend to to focus on rather the things that they are focusing on are the things that simply you know are are not the true they want to fight mm-hmm. the cultural narrative um basically saying that um um there's a, a narrative in our society that um causes all of men's problems and at the heart of that is the feminist movement and uh, in fact the idea that um that women are given um status in society and the idea of their conversion purpose basically waking up to see how unfair the world truly is to men mm. became known as this taking the red pill um and that's how it got to be the red pill movement and it just so bizarre because <laughs> just okay on the one hand yes okay so they believe that there's a wake-up moment where you throw off the the sort of um the cultural narrative that you've uh, been living in and you suddenly realize the the truth um but to take something from the matrix and turn it into something that is so sort of 
so completely removed from the the aesthetic at least of the films um and i was just trying to think about this i was thinking okay so it is it is a white male hero right Mm -hmm. and it is um you know a cis straight individual (laughs) and there is a narrative where he has primacy i think over trinity who is in the sort of subordinate position Mm. um they try and reverse that in film four which is overall i think a bit more of a clear film so i take that it does do a lot of this and there's a lot of shooting of guns (laughs) and generally being kind of like this is a superhero film right but i don't know maybe it's just like being a queer woman but like it was always such a queer film for me Mm. um and it's not the greatest thing that the Wachowskis have ever done, because the greatest thing the Wachowskis have ever done is Sense8, which is simply <laughs> one of the best television shows that has come out maybe ever. But um, that is that is their their absolute best thing. But um, that's a very, very queer show that does does sort of similar sort of science fiction narrative to it. But um but is he, I don't know, do you, do, you, do you find it weird that something that's kind of like so conservative and sort of white and misogynist yeah. has yeah. taken language out of something that is so weird and radical and... Yes, I don't know. Like, maybe it's that sort of, maybe, I don't know how often there is an example of, like, the right wing taking something that's explicit, like, explicitly <laughs> yeah, left, probably. Like, left radical and just, like, basically switching. Like, yeah. so it feels like oh, it's a pretty good tactic, you know, take something that's pretty <laughs> sure. left, then yeah. rebrand, you know? Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, like, and then again, it's, it just feels like one of those just very ironic misinterpretations of something that is meant to be, like, a satirical <sighs> sort of commentary on everything yeah, that the right wing represents and maybe what you're saying is actually you know as of i suppose there's two things one is the fact that we did say from the start that the matrix is a pluralistic mm. allegory so it makes hinting references to to a wide range of things and we haven't talked for example and a don't suggest that we go into this now, but like we haven't talked about the influence of this on evangelical Christianity um, mm-hmm. and the way that it was used in an allegory. Again, that seems very, very weird to me. Um, yes. Uh, even though I mean, I can see why connections with the biblical narrative of Christ and so on, but as a like as a as a vibes thing, <laughs> just the vibes, it's like weird, <laughs> you know, the whole kind of like also dressing in like basically what is fetish wear but also showing it in church i mean neo does run around in what is fundamentally a cassock quite a lot of the time which uh, i think you and i from our choral backgrounds would say not actually the thing you want to be wearing fighting superheroes personally uh my opinion but there we go Mm. um but yeah so i mean it it, i say it is multifaceted but um maybe i suppose there's things about it that you know because they are such big metaphors can be kind of um like siphoned off and taken and just just applied to something that really feels completely removed from the whole mm. genre of the the show um and maybe it is also thinking about this in terms of do i think that there would have been that kind of adoption of the wachowski's work for that kind of narrative mm. if this had been after they came out as trans rather than before because i think mm. that that again has changed perhaps the relationship of um of viewers potentially to to the film so um 
but uh yeah so that's an interesting interesting aspect i think that we should we should finish off before i ramble too much into <laughs> everything uh so say to the listeners the notes are so long i have yes, no idea really where long. we've got to uh <laughs> got a bit carried away this week so apologies for that but uh it's <laughs> gonna give you some reading material to follow up <laughs> afterwards <laughs> um but for you i mean if we just like take it back to what we usually do what is it about i guess the matrix that that you think is perhaps most like relevant maybe for for viewers now like like coming back to it now in 2023 what's what's our best takeaway from it do you think definitely you know with development of ai i think that's Mm. hugely relevant and being able to sort of you know there's so much media out there that talks about you know technology and where it might take us Mm. so you know the dark path of it you know etc etc um you know you probably should take it as a bit of a cautionary tale to be honest um, okay yeah so kind of like I mean, a, a fiction that tells yeah, that helps us to reflect yeah. on on something that's real yeah absolutely. i mean i'm not i'm not 100 saying you know in, in 100 200 <laughs> years time you know we're going to be uh, you know humans are going to be farmed for energy but like you know it's it is something but to think about maybe we like, would deserve it <laughs> yeah i mean exactly that exactly <laughs> that um Yes, um, but yeah. Other than that, just I mean, as usual, it's just kind of I think. I mean, as we're saying, like ignorance is bliss, but trying to mm-hmm. sort of maybe just stay aware of the sort of mm. inner workings of just yeah. how. I mean, especially with the like current way that the government's work. I mean, even today, I think of, uh, that we we're recording this. Suella Brahman got fired, but then they She's brought gone. David. She's gone. And then David Cameron's brought in in her place. So I just, I, are we living in the Matrix? It's almost, I am feeling like I'm living an episode of I have years. to say, it is, <laughs> the David Cameron thing has suddenly made me think of glitches in the Matrix. Deja vu, literally. Literally. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think that's my main sort of takeaways, but I, I don't know if you have anything to add. Not really, to be honest, because I think that what you've just said is, is exactly what I think. You know, I, if if I want to take that kind of as to say the sort of liberal stance of saying that um, freedom from authoritarianism is always preferable to even living under a benign dictator, and I know that lots of people would probably contest that, but I feel that that is that is for me true, and the way that we can see those slippery paths towards authoritarianism are I guess self-education which we could take this as a metaphor for kind of like opening of one's eyes um and so on and indeed you know not just not just sort of informal education I think you know, formal education has has a lot to do with this as well not necessarily in philosophy but like mm-hmm. having that kind of brain function that can can allow you to you know the the kind of intellectual ability to challenge the things around you and to look at what is wrong and that i think you know it functions as a metaphor for that um and i think that the you know there is something that i like about it that i think you know maybe maybe as i say in that fourth film which is very very weird but also very meta um has done a little bit more which is to take this idea that if you you know there is something about sort of challenging culture 
um even if it's if it's down to small things like um the way that you I don't know dress or the way that you kind of uh challenge the expectations of um a working environment or something like that that you know those are things that are themselves I suppose steps on a radical pathway to basically seeing how society might be better if on the way you were to discover that society was in fact being run entirely <laughs> by by robots it would be a longer process um, <laughs> uh, um, but at least you would discover that you could also wear PVC at all times because it's not real and therefore none of the effects of you know 24-hour pleather would actually you know <laughs> play out in your existence no that's not a nice thought but uh yeah so i mean i think the same as you just this idea of, of awareness and actually sort of saying you know that there is yeah i don't know is there ever happiness in inauthenticity big mm. question um, big question but, yeah cool have we said everything we're going to say no yes. obviously but i think we should well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm happy you happy yeah, I'm very happy. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Shall we tell our lovely listeners about what we're doing next? Yes. Okay. Um, right. So we're doing um, the Hunger Games one, right? So Yes, the new Hunger Games film. So mm. obviously we're looking at dystopian fiction and stuff. We cannot ignore the Hunger Games. So we thought that what we should do is go and see the new film adaptation Yes. of The Ballad of songbirds and snakes or possibly snakes and songbirds or possibly another animal beginning with s <laughs> um, i think that's right tune in to find out, <laughs> out exactly <laughs> uh, yeah it's out in cinemas on friday everyone that's the uk release day 17th um so we'll follow up um in uh two weeks from the from that day uh yes. give you time to go and see it give us time mm -hmm. to go and see it and to record um and we'll we'll be talking about that and for those of you who tuned in which is going to be nobody to listen to us talk <laughs> about the society don't worry we have not forgotten we just have <laughs> rescheduling and yes. other commitments so that is going to be in four weeks time for the release four of this time. so uh we'll talk about that then and uh very much hope that uh you come and join us at that point Contact us on social media, Being Society, which is our sister project, is the place to find us on all good social media platforms, by which we do not mean Twitter. So, um, yeah, that, I think, is everything. Happy? Yes. Okay. <laughs>